When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Garrett Wilson. Wow! What a catch! Touchdown, Jets! That kid's amazing. Gibson on the return. Near side. I don't see any flags. Gibson inside the 30. Hits the Jets. And he's going to go! Jets win it! Touchdown, rookie Xavier Gibson. Game over. Allen has time. Intercepted. Sauce Gardner's got it. Allen tripped up. He could not get past Jermaine Johnson. Oh, look at the speed of Brees Hall. He's done it again. Brees Lightning, 62 yards for the touchdown. And he's sacked again by Quinn Williams. What a beast. Number 95 for the Jets. Listen. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at Play Like a Jet One. And it is time for part two of the weekend mailbag. And so for that, we bring in our friend who is the editor over at Jet Nation, Mr. Glenn Naughton. Let's jump right back into the mailbag. Next question comes in from P. Cool Wright. He asks, Is Zach Wilson going to eventually become a top 15 quarterback? Will this be the most improbable story ever written? I wouldn't bet on it. At this point, I'm just glad that he's playable and that, as I said before, he's playing like a low-end starter, solid backup. Let's see what happens from here. If they can get him to top 15 quarterback, that would be fantastic. It would also be somewhat of a historic accomplishment. Let's see what he does from here. Right now, he's already made strides from last season. If he ends up being better than he is right now, we can consider it an added bonus. If not, at least he would have served some sort of purpose this season. I don't know if you saw this the other day, Scott. Uh, former former NFL quarterback Kirk Bankert, who's pretty active on social media, um, you know, breaking down and discussing current quarterbacks. He did a a one through thirty two. You know, he ranked all through all thirty two quarterbacks. Um, he had Zach at twenty one, which might be too high for some people. Might be too. You know, I looked and there were some names that I would probably disagree with, but. There's no reason why he can't be a middle-of-the-pack quarterback as this season goes on if he continues to improve. Um, but what they're going to need is th- some stability on this O-line. You can't have new starters every single week due to injury or poor performance. They need some continuity, some consistency. I think if they get that, and uh, as as I think we've both mentioned the possibility of Brownlee, like you've got to add a receiver to this mix. Alan Lazard's got, I, I recount four drops. I looked up his numbers the other day. They had him down for three which still, given his number of targets, still make, ties him for third worst in the NFL. Um, and he had a ton of drops before he got here. You know, I pointed out when they signed him, all these people were excited. And I like, he's not a bad player, but I, I thought, do people not realize his drop rate is as bad or worse than Corey Davis, who people have been trying to chase out of town for three years because of his drops? Um, they need a shorthanded guy to come in here 
um, and and offer something to give them more consistency at receiver too. But if they do that and Zach Wilson keeps doing what he's doing and getting more comfortable and protecting the football, then I don't see why he couldn't be. Next question comes in from Jets Blackout. He says, Michael Carter has 93 snaps and just six carries. 95% of the time he's on the field, it's a pass. Given this, should Jeremy Ruckert be out there instead? You could certainly make an argument for that. You could run more tight end heavy sets, like I said, play Carter a little less, throw Ruckert out there more. I think either way, really what it comes down to is that Jeremy Ruckert needs to be playing more. He's a guy that has shown you his upside. We've seen him make some plays. He's not playing nearly enough. We're seeing too much of C.J. Ozama, clearly. We're seeing too much of Randall Cobb. Thankfully, they've already started to dial back Dalvin Cook. But yeah, Ruckert is one of the guys that needs to get more snaps. Yeah, I think even before the season started, I'd, I'd said that I'd, I expected um, Ruckert to take on to end up taking the starting role by midseason, if not sooner. I think up to this point, he's shown he deserves it. It's just a matter of the Jets coming to that that conclusion and and letting him have those, you know, let him be the the second tight end in these two tight end sets. Next question comes in from Gary Manheimer. He asks, under Robert Sala, there have been many examples of the Jets being outcoached. Is the Eagles game the best example of this coaching staff outcoaching the other team? What do you expect this coaching staff to do moving forward? Yeah, I do think that this was probably the best coaching job that the staff has done, particularly Jeff Ulbrich. Jeff Ulbrich's done a really good job. It's funny because he got a lot of heat early on when the Jet defense was bad. And to be fair to him, they had bad players, especially in the secondary. So it was rough. They had no edge rushers. They had no cornerbacks. It was not a great group. And now that they've added talent, you're seeing what he's able to do. I don't know that he's going to be a head coach in the NFL. I do think if he keeps this up, he'll at least get some head coaching interviews, which is big. But I do think that he severely outclassed Nick Sirianni on Sunday with his defensive game plan. Luke Grant, the Thunder from Down Under, has it up on our YouTube channel right now, youtube.com slash play like a jet, showing exactly what Ulbrich was doing throughout the game with four different exotic fronts, the way that they fooled Jalen Hurts in the pocket, forced him outside the pocket where he's not really comfortable throwing the ball. It's funny because Hurts uses his legs to extend plays and he can be dangerous running, but when he's out of the pocket on the run throwing, no good. That's when he's at his weakest. We ran through the stats the other day. 49.3 quarterback rating, 30% success rate, and just over two yards per attempt when he has to throw outside the pocket. So it's not like when you're watching somebody like Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes when they get out of the pocket and they throw on the run and they throw a perfect strike. Hurts struggles mightily there. They recognize that and they recognize that confusing him inside the pocket was something that would throw him off his game. They knocked him off his spot all day. Obviously, Lane Johnson not being there played into it, but the Jets' pass rush got there. Jeff Ulbrich was using all the different fronts to fool Hurts, and it was a masterful coaching job. So yeah, I think for sure this was the best coaching job that we've seen from any of the Jets' units. And going forward, I would think that they're going to try to do something similar, just tailor their game plans to whoever they're playing. When it's Daniel Jones, they'll have a different game plan than when it's Justin Herbert and so on and so forth. So I was encouraged by what I saw. I thought Jeff Ulbrich did a great job, hoping to see more of that going forward. Yeah, they really did. And I think anytime you go into a game as as undermanned as the Jets were at corner against that wide receiver duo and that quarterback, and you shut them out for the final 35 minutes of the game, um, that that's a hell of a job on the coaches. They they were absolutely remarkable, and I think that uh, I think 
this is a staff that's that as you mentioned Ulbrich, right i think he's gotten way too much heat um but people are starting to back off of that a little bit now and and you know even very early on i heard some people saying that you know last year was it was a fluke and they're not that good but um this defense they continue to go out and just not give up points i mean they do bend but don't break they give up a lot of yards they they have a hard time getting off the field on third down which is frustrating i get that but when you're what i think they're second or third in the nfl in in red zone touchdown percentage like they they allow teams to operate between the 20s and once they get in the 20 they lock down and and you know if not for that phantom jalen hurts touchdown um, you know, that that would have been another situation where they gave up a bunch of yards and got a stop at the one, which it sure looked like they did. Um, but apparently they had a mystery angle that wasn't available to the viewers that showed a touchdown. So great job by the Jets coach is taking an undermanned team against a, a you know, a, a defending NFC champion with their top two receivers and shutting them down. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from Michael Pallas. He asks, how do you think this team compares to the Broncos team that won the Super Bowl with Peyton Manning at quarterback after Peyton Manning had sort of become washed up and really wasn't any part of the reason that they were winning? It's kind of an interesting question because that Broncos team, if you'll recall, Glenn, at one point Brock Osweiler was in there playing instead of Peyton Manning. That's how bad Manning looked. And then Manning came back out of necessity and they won the Super Bowl basically in spite of having Manning who couldn't throw anymore at quarterback. That defense carried everything. It's a reasonable comparison to make. This Jets defense does have some really talented players. They are playing really well. They are forcing turnovers. And Zach Wilson is not playing at a difference maker level, but he's managing the game. He's not giving the opposing team a ton of opportunities to cash in on mistakes. So, yeah, it's not a terrible comparison. We'll see, though, because really, I guess you could make that comparison to any team that has a really talented defense and an okay offense. Look at what the Cleveland Browns are doing right now, for example. Yeah, that's every time I see stuff like this, I, I think of the, you know, the, the Dilfer with the Ravens and stuff like that. Um, but I got it. It's so long ago. I have a hard time, at least at my age, it feels like that that Manning Super Bowl was a million years ago. But we we have seen examples, right? Like we, we always talk about how you have to have a quarterback playing at a high level to win a Super Bowl, which is right, like, you know, nine times out of 10. But it, it seems like once a decade, you get a performance you know, whether it's Trent Dilfer with the Ravens or or Manning with the Broncos, where you have a guy who isn't playing that well, but the defense is good enough to to carry you to a, you know, a playoff, a playoff run and a Super Bowl win. So, you know, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself here with the Jets. But again, if this defense keeps doing what they're doing, they're giving up 5.1 points per game in the second half. I mean, they're essentially not giving up a touchdown in the second half. So even though they're having the slow starts, um, they're locking teams down. And this is a. Uh, there are some special guys on this defense and and you know the the emergence of of Quincy Williams and let's give CJ Mosley some credit. I feel like this is the best Mosley has looked as a jet, which is unbelievable. He's been here a few years now. He's not exactly getting any younger, but CJ Mosley has been absolutely on fire. So they have a lot of guys playing at a high level right now that I could see this team, you know, doing something special if they can get into the postseason. Glenn, remember, not only is it possible to win with an okay quarterback, but sometimes that okay quarterback gets hot at the appropriate time. We saw that with Mark Sanchez a couple of times. Nick Foles comes to mind, obviously. So sometimes it's just a matter of being able to get into the right spot and having the pieces fall into place. So let's just hope that the Jets find a way to get into the playoffs. And then from there, you never know. Once you get into the tournament, anything's possible. 
even Eli Manning. He was better than those guys, but he played out of his mind in those playoff runs. Yeah, for sure. Eli Manning was basically a league average quarterback for the majority of his career. But in those two playoff runs, he played really, really well. So sometimes that's all it takes. Look, Joe Flacco, same thing. So you could talk all you want to about how you have to have a franchise quarterback to win a Super Bowl. I don't think that's true. It makes it a lot easier, obviously, but you can certainly win a championship without having an upper tier quarterback if you have other units that are elite. Next question comes in from Peter J. Dillard. He asks, with regard to the offensive line, assuming Joe Tipman is out for the year because with Salah, that's probably what we should assume. Do you think the Jets' best path going forward is Wes Schweitzer guard and Max Mitchell at right tackle? Let Dwayne Brown back up Becton. Maybe sign Lael Collins if they can get him and he passes a physical. Or Carter Warren replaces Max Mitchell if Mitchell gets hurt or doesn't play well. Can't have turnstile Turner playing at any position. Yeah, ideally Billy Turner wouldn't get in the lineup for any reason. Yeah, I think that's probably the way to go is that you use Wes Schweitzer if Joe Tittman is out. You go with Becton and Max Mitchell at the tackle spots. Connor McGovern is at center and the other guard, of course, Lake and Tomlinson. And then, as you said, if you can get Lael Collins in here as depth, fine. Or if you feel like he's a better option to start at guard, that's fine, too. Carter Warren, I don't know how far along he is. The coaches would be able to tell you that better than I would. But if he shows you progress, he's probably going to be a better option as a backup to Mitchell or a potential replacement if Mitchell's bad than somebody like Billy Turner. We already know what you're going to get out of him. And as far as Dwayne Brown, we talked about this before. I think it all comes down to if Max Mitchell can play at an acceptable level, you leave Beckton where he is, where he's comfortable. Don't mess with that dynamic. Yeah, I think, um, I, you know, th there are a lot of different scenarios you can throw out there. But as, as you just said, and we touched on earlier, I think Beckton at left tackle is, is your best idea. I think um, Carter Warren, you know, Robert Sala said he's a guy who has to accelerate his learning process now just because of the fact that he missed a lot of time early on. And now that they need bodies and he's healthy, they have to get him spun up. And he's a guy that, you know, was a really good player at a pit. But I, it, it's it's one of those things. We have no idea how close that guy is to being ready. You know, it, do they think they can put him on the field in three weeks? Is it six weeks? You know, we'll have to wait and see. But there, there's a lot of moving pieces right now. And like we said, the, the biggest thing right now is finding some continuity on that line. Um, I, I remember early on in, after Max Mitchell was taken, there were some folks who felt that he could move inside and play guard. I don't know if the Jets see it that way. Um, but I guess that's a possibility. Once you know, Again, if, if you feel like you want to plug someone else at right tackle, but the Leo Collins thing, Scott, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking there's something going on there, either with health or price tag, because nobody needs linemen right now more than the New York Giants. And they had him in and didn't sign him. Um, and the Jets need one pretty badly, too, when they had him in and didn't sign him. So you have two two teams that are desperate for help up front, and they both brought this guy in and neither one of them signed him. That That's a red flag to me. Next question comes in from Michael Christopher. He asks, looking back now after six games, the Jets pick at 15. Which player do you think they should have taken with that pick after watching the rookie class? If all the same picks were selected ahead of them, would you still have selected Joe Tittman over the other players that went behind him in the second round? I think Joe Tittman was really, really good until he got hurt. It's tough to second-guess that pick. As far as Will McDonald, I like Will McDonald. I still think he'll be good. I don't hate the pick at 15, but you and I talked about this, Glenn, at the time. I think the Jets probably should have gone either with Anton Harrison or more likely one of those receivers, whichever one they would have preferred. Jordan Addison, 
Zay Flowers or the one that I like the best, Jackson Smith the Jigba. Now people are going to go off on Jackson Smith the Jigba now because he hasn't gotten off to a very good start in Seattle, hasn't even played a lot, but got to remember there's a bit of a log jam there at receiver and sometimes receivers take a little bit of time to get going. Not every receiver is awesome immediately. So I wouldn't after 6 games say that Jackson Smith the Jigba can't still be the player that we expected him to be coming out of Ohio State. So to answer your question, Michael, there's no way to have foreseen the Tipman injury knowing what we know I think Tipman has played really well it's hard to say that they shouldn't have taken him and Will McDonald let's see what happens there but the obvious answer is if not McDonald one of those receivers or Anton Harrison who's having a pretty good rookie season the tackle out of Oklahoma yeah I think the the Tipman pick I would stay with I'm not going to change it because he's injured now and say I wouldn't have taken him he was you know I think I had him there in, in a couple of mocks where I thought that he was the better center and um so I'm happy with that pick as far as the McDonald pick, I said at the time, good player that made no sense to me because you you need you know that you had needs elsewhere. I did a piece saying same guy uh, Scott Jackson Smith and Jigba. I I written an article saying that to me he was the clear, obvious, most sensible pick in that spot. And yes, the production hasn't been there for him, but uh, the few times this year I've taken the taken a minute to look up where he ranks in terms of because of course Scott, you and I talked about what we liked so much about him was his lateral agility and his ability to create separation quickly. Um, and that has stood true in the NFL. If you look at his numbers, he's been, from the from the time the season started, he ranks among sort of, at least last time I looked, he's always been in the top five in the NFL in um, amount of separation per route run. So he's getting open. He's getting the separation. They're just not throwing on the ball. And as you mentioned, they have a log jam at receiver. They have a, they have a couple of good backs there. So there's just not enough footballs to go around for him to get involved right now. But um, I have no doubt that if if Jackson Smith and Jigma were a Jet, he'd be seeing a lot more playing time and targets than he is with the Seahawks. Tristan Snowsill asks if it's Week 18 at Foxborough and the Jets are in a must-win situation, sort of like they were in 2015, going into Buffalo. Do you think the Jets can pull it off with Zach Wilson at quarterback? Yeah, I don't see why not. Zach Wilson showed you enough this season for you to think that the Jets are capable of winning games with him at quarterback as long as he doesn't make back-breaking mistakes, is able to move the ball, and the defense plays well. We've seen this. The Jets are not exactly a juggernaut offensively, and they need to fix the red zone offense, but they've done enough to beat some really good teams. They should have beaten the Chiefs. They got screwed by the refs. They beat the Bills. They beat the Eagles. So I don't see why they couldn't beat a bad Patriots team if it comes down to it week 18. Now, obviously, people will say Zach Wilson has had no success against the Patriots and obviously the Jets have had no success against the Patriots in recent times but this is as weak as the Patriots have been in a really long time I know they lost a couple of weeks ago but this team looks a little bit different since that Patriots debacle and I think if they can continue to play pretty well throughout the rest of the season there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to go into Foxborough and beat the Patriots the last week of the year yeah I think that it it, on the one hand, it's hard to envision because they've been so bad against the Patriots, but really the last couple meetings, they've been right there. It's been really close. And I think that if the Jets have everything to play for, they just they, they have more talent than the Patriots across the board. Um, and who knows if Bill Belichick's even going to be the head coach in New England at that point with with what Albert Breer is floating that New England's considering a change. Um, but I just I can't see this Jets team with as much talent as they have if they're healthy, um, losing to the Patriots with everything on the line. Glenn, I want to get your take on a poll I put up on Twitter. This had about 3,000 votes, so a lot of people got involved. I asked if Zach Wilson continues to improve 
and gets to the point where the Jets have some sort of reasonable comfort level with him and think there's a better chance than before that he's going to be the future of the team, do the Jets pick up that fifth-year option, which of course would be $20 million, and avoid the possibility of the Daniel Jones scenario? Now, I've seen people suggest that the better option would be to try and work out some sort of longer extension where the per-year number is lower and the cap hit is less, And so that's a possibility too. Of course, the beauty of the fifth-year option is that it's only one year, so it gives you the ability to test drive, and then you still have the franchise tag years after that. What do you think, Glenn, if you're the Jets, if Zach Wilson continues to improve each week, maybe gets to like what we were talking about around the 20th best quarterback in the league, and the coaching staff is confident that he can continue to improve, would it be a good idea for the Jets to pick up that fifth-year option? It's it's a $20 million gamble on a potential, again, if Zach Wilson is trending in the right direction and playing well, he kind of gets himself back in that position where he has to be considered a potential franchise quarterback. And we've seen teams, we've seen every year, we've seen the, we've seen the Jets carry $20 million in dead cap on guys they've cut. Like $20 million is a lot to you and me, but in terms of cap space, and it, it basically it's a $20 million lottery ticket for a franchise quarterback who is not who hasn't not a guy who's proven he's there yet, but who looks like he's heading that direction. And with as much as you've, as much as you've invested in him now, I think it would be one of the most foolish things we've ever seen for the jets to let him walk. If he starts turning the corner and then some other team snaps him up and he continues to progress. And, and, you know, eight, nine months from now, he's a franchise quarterback and, uh, and the jets are sitting there with a, a 40 year old Aaron Rodgers and, and Tim Boyle. Before we go, let's make sure we check in with our buddy Walter Cherapinski over at WalterFootball.com. He's got his picks from around the NFL. Try and help him make a few bucks this Sunday. Walter, the floor is yours, my friend. Thanks, Scott. The Jets are on by, so let's just get to the games I like, beginning with Atlanta plus 2.5 against Tampa Bay. I think Tampa Bay is pretty overrated. I mean, everyone's saying the Lions are going to go to the Super Bowl now because they beat the Buccaneers by 14 points. i um, kind of questioning why that win is so significant. Uh, the, the Buccaneers came into the season at regarded as one of the worst teams in the NFL. Now, they started 3-1, and one, which is a nice record, but uh, you kind of have to look at their wins. Uh, week 1 against Minnesota, the Vikings imploded with turnovers. Week 2 against the Bears, um, Justin Fields ran just twice after the first drive, and yet that was still a three-point game before a pick six at the end. And then uh, their third win was against the Saints, where Derek Carr was injured and couldn't throw the ball downfield. I, I think Atlanta is the better team here. I, I know they just lost to Washington at home, but they outgained Washington in that game by more than 200 yards. Uh, I think Atlanta uh, should be able to move the ball pretty well against the Buccaneers, and I, I like Atlanta's defense a lot. I think it's very underrated. They held the Lions to 20 points. They held Jacksonville to 16 offensive points. Um, they've done extremely well overall. Last week against Washington, they limited Washington to 190 net yards. Um, so I think they should be able to uh, limit what Baker Mayfield is trying to do here, and also the Buccaneers play on Thursday night uh, against the Bills, so they could be looking ahead to that. Uh, next game is Ravens minus three against the Lions. I just mentioned the Lions, and I, I, I've been high on the Lions all year. I bet them to win the Super Bowl back in July at 33-1 to 1 odds. However, I think this is just a bad spot for them. Uh, first of all, they're coming off a big win against Tampa Bay, a quote-unquote big win, where people are now saying they are going to the Super Bowl or at least arguing that. Um, but I, I think that the Ravens are probably hearing that, and, and they're going to take notice. And I, I could see this being a, um, a statement game for them, whereas this this game doesn't really mean much for Detroit. The, the next the, the second-place team in the division is 2-3. and three. That's the Packers, and the Lions already beat them, uh, whereas the Ravens are in a 4 
four horse race for the division. So this game means more to them. Also, I think this is a bad matchup uh, for the Lions because it's expected to be very windy in Baltimore. Uh, Detroit is missing David Montgomery, and Jameer Gibbs may not be at full strength. So the Lions aren't going to be able to run the ball. So they're going to be a pass-first offense in a very windy game against a top-10 defense. I I think that's going to be very problematic, and I think Baltimore uh, projects well in the win because Lamar Jackson should be able to run around. Uh, The Giants are plus 2.5 against Washington. I like them here. I just mentioned that Washington just gained 100. 90 uh, or so yards against Atlanta. Uh, They won the game, so I think Washington is a little overrated right now. Um, I think people look at at that game and also their near win against the Eagles, and they're kind of impressed by by Washington. However, uh, they lost outright to the Bears at home. They almost lost to Arizona at home. Uh, They almost lost to Denver, and we've seen how bad Denver is. So I'm not really sold on this Washington team that also got blown out by Buffalo, too, at home. Um, I, I think the Giants are not as bad as people I think they are because they remember what happened on that Monday night game. But the Giants just got Justin Pugh back, uh, so their offensive line isn't going to be as bad as it was against Seattle. Um, and Washington's defense is is pretty dreadful. They rank 25th in the NFL in EPA. So the Giants should be able to move the ball now that Saquon Barkley's back and I just don't think this this bad Washington team deserves to be favored by nearly a field goal on the road. I, I would try to get the plus three to pay off for it. Same same with the Falcons. I try to get the three because three is such an important key number in the NFL. Finally, I like Arizona plus seven and a half against Seattle. I think Seattle's uh, pretty overrated. Uh, you know, stemming to stemming back to what happened in that Monday night game against the Giants. Uh, their defensive stats are inflated as as a result. Uh, now they're really good against the run. However, they struggle against the pass. So I think Arizona should be able to move the ball. Uh, I think Josh. Joshua Dobbs should have a decent game here. Um, and also Seattle has some injuries. DK Metcalf may not play. And if he does, he's he may not be 100%. He, he only had one practice this week and he was limited in it. So uh, I'm pretty concerned about Seattle's uh, firepower here with if Metcalf is out or limited. Also, Arizona has a great track record playing in Seattle. Uh, dating back to 2013, they have six upset wins in Seattle. Not just six wins where they're, you know, they're favored in some games. They were, they, they've pulled the upset in Seattle six times in the past 10 years. It's kind of insane how much success they've had in Seattle. Uh, The Seahawks were playing on the East Coast last week. They traveled back to the West Coast. They could be fatigued here. Uh, I think Arizona should be able to keep the game close. If anything, maybe a backdoor cover. So I I think that uh, they're a good bet at plus 7.5 to cover the spread. So those are the WalterFootball.com Week 7 picks against the spread. Back to you, Scott. Thanks, Walter, and thank you for listening. Make sure that you check out everything that Walter and Charlie Campbell have going over at WalterFootball.com and at PlayLikeAJet.com and the Play Like a Jet YouTube channel. We've got some awesome All-22 reviews on our channel right now, so watch those videos and subscribe if you haven't already. YouTube.com slash PlayLikeAJet. Visit our store, tpublic.com. That's T-E-E-Public.com. We've got the John Franklin Myers, Quentin Williams, Bless You, Thank You shirt, the Play Like Jet logo shirt, caps, mugs, hoodies. It's all there, tpublic.com. That's T-E-E-Public.com. And be sure to give us a five-star review for the podcast on iTunes if you haven't done that already. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts and content, you know where to go. That's Play Like a Jet Digital and PlayLikeAJet.com. <laughs>